now we're nice and cozy. Yeah. Okay. Right. So just in your again. in your sexiest Scottish okay. accent, nice and slow. Okay. <laughs> the craft pug. <laughs> okay. Wait, I will go last one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For the Craft Podcast, I'm Leslie Camacho. And I'm Michael Rogg, coming to you remote this week, on location at the home of the illustrious Stephen Grant. Hello. Uh, And since I'm here, that means that we can have our intro read in a sexy Scottish accent. Uh, Take it away. The Craft Podcast serves the community of designers, developers, business people, and content creators who use the Craft content management system to build great products and experiences on the web. Nice. That was very nice. I liked that. Welcome to episode four of the now international Craft Podcast, where we attempt to answer all your craft questions, help develop your skills, bring you relevant news, and celebrate all of the awesome stuff you're building with Craft. In this episode, we are beginning a two-part series called Why Craft, where we're just going to cover some of the uh, basics and foundations of uh, why we choose craft. Uh, In part one, we're going to cover some of the business reasons, especially in terms of how we sell craft to clients. And in part two, we're going to tackle the top three reasons for developers to choose craft. And Michael, I can already see that we have a problem because I'm looking at the outline for both these episodes and we both have more than three points we're trying to cram into this. So, so Steven, you're going to have to keep us on track here. Okay. That means that everybody gets bonus points. That's right. Bonus points. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, how you describe the process of building a business model and a, and a sales funnel around craft as a tool that's an area that I need to improve a lot on, uh, so I'm really excited just to to hear the inside of your head on that. You know, understanding the sales process is something that I think about a lot, and I refine it every time I give a pitch, regardless if it's for craft or a website build in general or a consulting client. Uh, whatever it is, um, I, I really try to improve it with with every you know with every attempt. So this captures my process right in this moment of time, and I've tried to narrow it down uh, for the sake of this podcast so that we can get to the craft part uh, as quickly as possible. So I think I think the most important component when you're selling anything, especially if you're in services, is to make sure you have you have a value conversation with your potential client. And what I, what I mean by a value conversation is, is that's just a businessy term that translates to you have to understand what they want the end result to be, both in terms of the value to their business and the value that they're trying to create for their users, for their customers. Um, and oftentimes, Technology plays a huge component in that, as does design. But in the actual conversation, I try to avoid talking about design. I try to avoid talking about tech. And I really try to get a handle about what they need the website or, or the work to actually accomplish for them. So specifically, do they need to increase sales of a particular product? Do they need to rebrand themselves? Is there a particular action they want visitors of their site to take? Uh, 
um, in terms of uh, of the more technical contracts that sometimes come across my desk, even when they're asking uh, about things like, hey, help us implement this particular CMS or help us solve this problem. I really try to understand point by point what the pain the client is experiencing uh, really is before I talk about any type of solution, regardless of what it is. And the main reason I do this is because in, in any sales uh, in any sales conversation, you have to qualify the client. And so that's really what I'm doing. By understanding their pain points, I understand the value that they're trying to accomplish or, or that they're trying to create. And once I understand that, then I can ask myself, quite, you know, in a very honest sense, is this something I can actually do for them, regardless of what the solution may, may be? Uh, and once I've established that, then I go and finish the process of qualifying the client. So that can mean a number of things uh, that probably goes into more detail uh, than we want to get into uh, right at this particular moment. But it includes things like, hey, does, does, can the client afford this work? Uh, does the client really understand uh, the value that they're creating? Because there's often times where I understand the value better than the client does, which is why they're coming to me in the first place. So I really try to be as patient as possible and try to listen as much as possible while the client describes what they're trying to do. And I just ask a lot of questions versus jumping straight into whatever I want the solution to be or think the solution may be. And then I double check things like timeline. Are there hard deadlines that I need to be aware of? Uh, is this possible or is that possible? Is there an event you need to showcase the new website at? And so I, I just make sure that they can afford me and that the timeline seems fairly reasonable for us to even move the conversation forward uh, before we even talk about anything else. Uh, and so during this whole thing, I do my best not to talk about craft or whatever CMS they're asking me to uh, deal with or whatever solution that they want to deal with because oftentimes the client wants to jump straight into that. And what happens is that if we jump straight into talking the, about the solution before we have really understood the pain that's being experienced and the value that needs to be created is that inevitably they will undervalue what we're doing together. Um, and that goes back to the idea that you really have to listen and then pitch it back to them so that they understand what they're asking for. Uh, and you really have to make sure they understand the scope of what's going on before you even start technology or anything else. And sometimes this is more than uh, a one phone call process. Uh, sometimes this takes place through email. Sometimes it takes place over chat. Sometimes it's a first one phone call. I understand the value and then I'll put back a, a recommendation to them. So what I'm really getting at is that this part of the process for me is very flexible, but I don't actually get into offering a solution or a recommendation until I really feel I have a clear grasp on the actual work, not what they say it is, but what I think it is. Uh, and then at that point, that's where I begin to talk more of the technology side or, or the potential solutions at that point. Because when I talk about the solutions, I want to line them up specifically so that they're answering the pain points that the client has agreed to. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that's a particular point I want to emphasize is that I actually list out the value. Like I, I'd actually put down, you are trying to do A, B, and C and you're experiencing these pain points, one, two, three, 
and I get agreement on those things, usually in writing, and that doesn't mean a contract, but I mean an email. Here's what I heard. Here's what we're talking about. So that when I'm talking about solutions, I'm not just talking about my preferred solution or what I want to work with, but I'm matching up the solutions I'm offering with the specific value and pain points we've just agreed to and that they can review those things in writing uh, as we're going over it in some format. Wow. I feel, I feel like that's a huge knowledge bomb. It, yeah, I, I go I go fast through these things. So because, if you have questions, because, slow me down. <laughs> yeah, because I, I that situation that you describe where a client calls me and almost immediately I understand sort of by listening and asking questions, like you say, discern what the thing is that they need even before they have words to describe it to me. Um, so I, I love the idea of getting it in writing, getting agreement on what the objective is. So often in the you know circles of developers, we talk about getting agreement on scope. Yep. Um, and and really hashing out what the scope of work is. And I've never actually, it's never occurred to me that like the, the objectives that live underneath the scope are just as important for the relationship, the working relationship that follows. I feel like that's, that's worth the price of the podcast right there is, is, uh, get the, get the objectives, get the pain points in writing even before you start talking about scope, that it makes so much sense. It, right, and I would actually reverse that. These are not the objectives underlying the scope. These are the objectives that define the scope. Yeah. Uh, and so if you have the pain and you have the value, then the scope has to live without that, uh, w within that, uh, within those agreed upon parameters so that when you're actually talking through the solutions, then you can actually point to in writing uh, where things are going out of scope. So you might say, uh, let's talk about this component and the client may want to add on these three suggestions. And at that point you can say, oh, well, that's outside the pain point. Did we miss something when we were talking about the value that needs to be created? Uh, do we need to expand that? Uh, are you understanding this correctly? And it's not because you're trying to get them to say yes or no, but you're really trying to get them to agree on what they actually want to pay for. Uh, and, and that paying for it pieces why you want to talk about the value before you want to talk about the solution because if I you know if we're talking about a particular project um, like there was one the other day that we were on a pitch for and uh, it was a very large pharmaceutical type uh, company and they came to us and said we want a proposal and it needs to accomplish you know these particular objectives and it has this heavy editorial workflow component and they're really frustrated by how it works right now and they need some one-off publishing things and it's going to have some unique design parameters uh, and we also have this content strategy piece that we need to put in there and it's going to require working with this other party uh, and here's our you know five-page RFP along with the technical stuff so right there my first want is to jump straight and to say, oh man, Craft can handle that editorial component so awesome. And we can do these one-off unique design pages and we can go into elements and we can structure this. And it's so tempting to jump straight into there. But what they really needed was to uh, stop an internal fight. 
because they were having a fight between their marketing department and their tech department about uh, what their solution needed to be. And the, they were just bringing up the stuff in the RFP as a way for them to pitch two internal solutions against each other. And so if I had jumped straight into craft instead of actually listening to what was actually going on, I would have inadvertently lost us the gig because I would have sided with marketing, but it's engineering that's making the decision. And I didn't know, and I didn't know that going into it. And if we had jumped straight into a value convert, if we had jumped straight into a solution conversation, instead of actually talking about what's going on and really trying to understand the nuances of it, it would have been dead in the water before we even started. Um, and that's kind of an edge case scenario. So I, I think, I think probably a better example is if someone says, Hey, we need to, um, we really need to beef up our blog because we're going to have a content strategy approach and we want to get into content marketing. And can you really help us with that? And so if you start the conversation immediately with, oh, yeah, Craft is awesome at content strategy. We can do SEO this and, again, elements this and workflow that and permissions this and your editorial team will love it. All you've really told them is that, oh, <clears throat> we can build you a better blog, but you haven't actually assigned any value for it. So then when you come back with, and it's only going to cost $30,000, then they're like, what? WordPress is saying they can do this for five grand. Why on earth would I pay $30,000 for this? And suddenly you're having to defend yourself against another CMS, another thing, even though you have the cool tech, you didn't establish the value of this to the client. So if a client comes to me and says, hey, we want to do content strategy, content marketing, I understand that um, you have a way, a good approach to this. My first question is not, or my first response is, not craft is awesome at this. My first response is, what's the value of this to you? Uh, what's your ROI in your blog right now? Do you understand your conversion rates? When someone comes to your blog, how do you actually make money from them? Okay, so if, if you convert 100 more people, it's going to equal 10,000 more dollars for you or 5,000 more dollars for you or you have it. And so I really try to understand what the business proposition is so that I have an anchor point for my costs. So if I understand that their marketing strategy, the intention of that is to double their business revenue if they achieve this uh, increased conversion rate, then I can say, okay, we've established that the value of this job for you is a potential you know, two times your current revenue from your blog traffic and your current blog revenue I'm estimating is this or that, or, you know, are we more or less in the ballpark? And I have to say, yeah, right now we do about $200,000 uh, through our e-commerce store and our blog's going to do that. And we'd like to add that. Now I'm, now I have gotten them to tell me not necessarily what their budget is, but I've gotten to tell me that, oh yeah, their e-commerce business is worth three to $400,000 out of the gate. And now what they need is an increased conversion rate that depends on their content strategy. And now I have an anchor point for pricing out the work. And that's when I bring in craft. Because then at that point, I can say, okay, you basically are talking about wanting to go from 200000 to 400000 and more. Your content strategy sound, sounds really good. Now you need a robust, really flexible way to implement that. Here is how craft does that. Uh, and it's going to be really cost effective for you because it's going to be less than 10% of, of your uh, projected revenue for us to build this for you. 
And now you're talking in terms where, oh man, I only have to pay 10% of my projected revenue to get this uh, thing and it's going to be way better than anything else. You know, what is it? Tell me about it. And at that point, that's when I can really start talking about, okay, Craft is a, the first really modern content-first CMS. You can build around your content workflow, your editorial needs. You can hook it into your analytics system. Um, and you can really now dig into the technical side and the user experience side of Craft. But instead of being anchored against a nebulous better blog, you're anchored against uh, a percentage increase in the revenue that you've already established the value of so that when my costs come back and say, you know, this is going to be a twenty, thirty thousand dollars build by the time we're done to accomplish these very real pain points that you've already agreed on, it suddenly sounds like a very reasonable, effective thing to do versus uh, staying in, you know, small time WordPress land. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. Um, and I think it's worth noting um from where I sit, a lot of the projects that come across my desk don't have a necessarily a really hard ROI that is connected to a sales process or a commerce process. A lot of the stuff that I work on is much more long tail um, than that, and um, and so when I'm you know trying to think about ROI, it's not always. Sometimes it is, but it's not always in terms of like how many conversions are we going to increase and what's the monetary value of that. You know, sometimes it really is looking long term at, you know, how do we save time and save sanity for internal staff who's creating content or, yep. um, you know, what's the, what is the, you know, if your audience is zero right now, like because you're building a thing any increase is going to be infinite. So, you know, what is the long-term value of the web presence that you want to have? And what are the, you know, the actions that you want people to take? Um, and how do you want people to feel about you in the scheme of your industry or, you know, or whatever? So, um, so I guess there is always some ROI. Um, but, but for me, I think thinking about value, um, I wonder if uh, if it always has to be in terms of ROI, or if there can be value that lives kind of outside of the businessy sort of analytics and metrics um, and the very specific stuff, and looks more long tail. I, yeah. I I absolutely, and so I would say it's always ROI, but ROI is not always dollars. So there's time saved. Yeah. There's yeah. your personal Stuff sanity. It, it, exactly. There's your so you have a five-person in-house dev team or a one-person in-house dev team, and every time they have to go uh, work on whatever clunky, broken thing they have right now, it's taking away from the business's main mission, and they're paying that developer eighty thousand a year to really uh, babysit a broken uh, WordPress site. Because let's just pick on WordPress because it's fun to pick on WordPress. <laughs> uh, or, or even worse, they have a Joomla site, right? I had to do a Joomla oh, rescue last year. Uh, <laughs> and, and so again, but, but you've already, but you want to establish that there's value in solving that and value doesn't have to be money. And I think that's a very important point. Yep. Um, so what I'm trying to do in that conversation though, is anchor what I do and how and the tools that I'm going to do it as much as possible to the end result that they want. Because 
it answers objections before they have them. And this is a this is a, a important lesson I picked up from uh, a friend in the expression engine world, Brad Parscale. Uh, he taught me this a few years ago, and I've never forgotten, and it works so well. Because if you establish that you understand the pain and you pitch the solution, then the magic question is, if I can really do this for you, do you care how I do it? And if you've done your job right, nine out of 10 times, they're gonna say no. If you, can, if you say you can do this and we've established it during the course of our value conversation that I have this budget and you can do it for that budget, I don't care what widget you're using to solve it. Because at that point, I've established myself as an expert because I understand the, point, uh, the pain and I'm offering a solution. And so at that point, the chances of me successfully being able to use craft uh, increase dramatically because I'm having to be less defensive about, well, it's only two years old and WordPress just celebrated its 10th year and Expression Engine is two is in its seventh year and Drupal is, who knows how old Drupal is, uh, you know, or whatever the case may be. I'm avoiding those questions as much as possible because I've already set up that the solution I'm providing is ideal to solving their pain point. And the more time I can spend really establishing myself that I understand their pain and I have a solution for it that fits into their constraints of both budget and schedule, then the less I have to defend the particular solution and the more they just say, when can we start? When can we start? When can we start? And I'm making yeah. it sound really simple in this podcast, uh, but it's hard. You know, I, I want to just acknowledge that it's hard and it's taking me two years of selling uh, hard and services and selling uh, in the software world before that and being a marketer. But it's not rocket science and it's like anything else. As you practice this, you get better at it. But my goal is that I wanna use the tools that I wanna use in the way that I wanna use them. And the secret sauce to getting us to that point is aligning the solution with the value and having established those things in some concrete terms, whether it's hours saved, whether it's someone's sanity, whether it's uh, dollars, whether it's whatever, whatever that nebulous is, whether it's a long tail or a short tail, the better you can anchor that, then you can just say, if I can do this, do you really care how I do it? And, and I don't say it that way because I don't have Brad's uh, charisma. Uh, I think Brad might actually really say it that way, but uh, but you develop your own style of basically saying that question. Now that we've established I can do this for you, does it really matter what tools I use? Well, my dev person will have some questions, and then at that point, I've reached my limit, where I can, I can really talk about craft at a high-level strategy. I've run sites with craft, but if someone actually wants to say, um, let's go down into the weeds on the server level and optimize and what, you know, com you know, compare Twig to these other things, or let's talk about that. That's also a very legit part of the sales process and especially in larger contracts, that's unavoidable. But I try to make that the second tier conversation after we've established that I have the solution. Now we're just vetting it. Yeah. Well, that's when you send them to me. Yes. Yes. And that's and a Steven. very real thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, um, you know, in the script, this is how I have it. I know my limits and I bring a friend, you know, in some cases yeah. that's you, in some cases it's Phil, uh, Steven, I would love to work with you on a project one day. Uh, so I'll bring my, uh, uh friend Steven in on this. Um, and at that point now, because I'm established as an expert, the person I'm bringing in is also pre-established as an expert. And now we're vetting 
versus comparing. And I really try to make it so that by the time I bring in Michael into my project or Phil into my project or whoever, that we're now in a vetting process versus a comparative process between solutions. So yeah. I see my job as getting us to the point where I've pre-sold the solution as much as humanly possible, and now we're just vetting it. And that's where you can really trust something like Craft that unless there's some high, high-end security stuff that we can't do anything about, um, not because Kraft doesn't pass those checks, but because it hasn't had the government audits that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars that you know, like an enterprise right. level CMS will have. Um, but that's kind of a different conversation. Right. Well, and I, you know, what you're talking about, I feel like it goes both ways. That um, notion of bringing a friend, right? Because usually when people come to me, it's because they already know me to be an expert in one platform or another um, and so they come to me with kind of this preconceived notion that we want to build a thing on XYZ platform yep. you know or CMS and oftentimes it's really not my skill set to do what you're talking about and redirect that conversation into what are the pain points how are we actually gonna make your life better with this before we talk tech and I feel like that's a situation in which I could rope someone like you in and say, awesome, I'm so glad you got in touch. Let me rope in my friend Les and let's get to the bottom of what we're really trying to accomplish here and then we can talk tech. Because you're right, as a developer, as soon as they start talking, I'm already building it in my head. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it, you know, it would really be valuable to have someone like you you know, to bring you to that conversation to establish these things, um, you know, lay, to lay a good foundation for uh, for the thing you want to build. Um, so before before we derailed you, you were starting to talk about this notion of craft as a content first CMS. And I think that's the next point that you had to talk about. So unpack that a little bit. Sure. So one of the things I absolutely love about Craft is that it really is a modern CMS in a way that no other system is. And I have a lot of love for the CMS world across the board. Um, you know, obviously I have a, a, a long history with Expression Engine and I still love it to death. There's even stuff about WordPress that I love. I mean, I, my personal site's on WordPress. Um, there is nothing about Joomla that I love. That's the only <laughs> exception to the rule. I do not understand people who use it. Drupal has some amazing qualities about it. Yeah. So um, I, but what Craft is honestly unique in the world of CMSs, at least in my experience, is that it's the only CMS I'm aware of where you start the development conversation by talking about your content. You don't start talking about the design. You don't start talking about particular features you may have to develop. Um, I mean, you can do all that too, but Craft is really made to understand, okay, let's talk about the content on your site, why it's important, uh, the workflow that you need to maintain it and uh, create the value that you need. And what I love about Craft is that it allows you to start that conversation um, at, with a vocabulary that your client can relate to. And that's kind of my secret sauce for when I talk about craft. So like if I'm talking about Drupal, um, which I don't sell, but I talk about it quite a bit in some of my consulting work, you have to, it's a really developer centric CMS. And so you're always talking about staging platforms and production this and node that. And um, have you seen this particular thing? Uh, and 
most of the time when you're talking with the decision maker or or some of the stakeholders in sales, you're not talking to um, you're not talking to a technical person, but everyone understands content. Uh, ev everyone understands that this is copy on a page, a video can go here, uh, an image can go here, and more or less you have this um, shared vocabulary that you can start building the conversation around because uh, most people will be in a position where they've at least used a CMS of some sort or they have this idea of what content needs to do and accomplish for them. So you can begin the tech conversation with something that is really, really lightweight but it's actually meaningful to the development of the actual site. Uh, and so you can start that conversation there. And um, if the client wants an explanation of craft, uh, the one I often use is, uh, like sometimes a client will ask me, what's a modern CMS? And I actually start that conversation with, well, actually there's these really smart people uh, at NPR who talked about this system called COPE which stands for create once, publish everywhere, and this is an ideal of what a modern CMS needs to do. And the idea is that if I create my content and put it into the CMS, the CMS actually needs to manage that content. Uh, a CMS shouldn't just be a glorified web publishing tool, it should be a publish everywhere tool. And so the way Craft is built with its API, with uh, the way that it actually handles content once it's in the system, with its uh, you know, almost infinite flexibility of what you can do with content and how you can extend it, you can really draw this line in the stand and say a modern CMS is built around the idea from COPE. It doesn't just integrate it or acknowledge it, but it's actually built around this concept here. Uh, and then you can kind of expand out that. And again, you're talking something that's pretty tech heavy, but the technology, the outcome of that technology is audio files, it's video, it's words, it's images. So it's all super relatable to uh, the majority of the people you're going to talk to versus if you're trying to talk about, wow, this is like one-click updates. Well, how does that work? Oh, okay. Uh, staging, production, there's repos there. And suddenly you have eyes glazed over. And even though that's super critical, amazing stuff, the majority of the time, at least for the type of people that I talk to, um, it's not relatable to them. And so, uh, and it's, um, and it's not understandable. And so that shared vocabulary, the idea that this is a modern content first CMS. In fact, Brandon, I think in the interview we did with Brandon, I think he calls it a, con a content management framework. And so sometimes I'll use that terminology as well. It's like, it's really the idea that everything you're doing is built around content. So the CMS, our conversation about what our work together also starts around your content. Uh, and then in projects, what I've discovered is that this is valuable because it actually gets the client working on the content at the front of the project and not the last minute rush job that we've all experienced and we should, uh, and we should all take a drink to recover from. <laughs> uh, and, and then what's great is that, you know, you can be a couple calls in and you're doing a demo. Oftentimes you can show them the live preview in craft using the demo site and suddenly they instantly get it. Oh, this is what it means. Um, and, uh, and so as soon as you show them that live preview and how they can mix and match content types and see the live updates on that, you've really shown them something unique in the CMS world and you've done everything up to that point to establish the value of the work that you're doing. And at that point, 
if we've gotten that far, there's a very, very good chance that we can close uh, and that we'll be using craft and we'll have accomplished what, what we set out to accomplish in, in the first place. Yeah, and that demo site is really killer on sales calls. That's uh, You can go to demo.buildwithcraft.com and spin up your own kind of sandbox demo website in just a minute or less and you know log a client into it and immediately be demoing things like the live preview or the you know field layout editor or the relationship picker and that's such that's such a mic drop moment yep in a sales call to you know because at that point it's not really talking tech you are demoing a technology but you're not talking tech you're talking look at the cool things that you can do with your content right you're you're actually demoing the value they're going to receive because then you can talk about the specific of this is not pre-built we can build this for you so if you need a gallery we can just put a gallery here it, really that's how it works yeah that's how it works and then you can just show them right there in go to meeting or hangout however you're sharing your screen and that's where and but at that point of the conversation i've already had two or three calls we've already establishing so again we're vetting and it's kind of like it, it's it's one of the last things that usually happens to really cement that the value we're asking for in in the proposal is indeed worth every penny because they can actually then begin to understand in their minds how all this is going to be put to work for them uh, and I, yeah. I think that it's you're the one that introduced me to something I use every single time now I'm selling craft, Michael, is that you, you told me early on when you were helping me show the rope, uh, where you were showing me the ropes on craft, that one of the things that makes craft stand out against any other system is a one-to-one -one relationship. If I say that this is a gallery, it's a gallery. It's not some WordPress custom field that with the help of an add-on uh, can be configured to work like a gallery. It's a gallery. Uh, if I say that this is a bibliography uh, system to, to put books into, it's because that's exactly what it is, uh, because we've built it that way. If I say that this is um, the SEO fields uh, that are associated with your page and they can be used this way, it's because that's exactly what it is and we built it specifically to your needs. And to be able to show that in real time during a conversation with a client uh, is just amazing. It, it's it's uh, at that point it, it's hard it, it's um, it, at that point they're just figuring out if they can afford it or how do we start and you know it's negotiation time and, and that's always a, a good thing yeah well and I you, you know you said um, by the time you start getting to demos you've already vetted the client you've already established you know, the pain points that need to get solved and I think that's important because if I just you know in the first five minutes of a call and you know as a developer who's really excited about a technology, this is my tendency, is just in the first five minutes, you know, after I meet you, I'm already giving you a demo. Um, but I think that sets almost a dangerous precedent um, for, you know, later on for someone to say, well, you did this in the first five minutes that I was talking to you, so why should I pay you lots of money to, you know, to develop this for me? Um, clearly, this is out of the box and easy even if in fact it is not. And so if I get to that only after I have solidly established, you know, a foundation of the problems that we're solving and the value that it creates for them, um, then it's a lot easier to, to give them a demo and, 
you know, truly show them how easy things are uh, or are going to be for them and then still have the precedent that it's worth, you know, compensating me to, to help them with it. Right, right, exactly. So in the demo, you're, you're giving the demo mapped out to the value you're creating and the pain that you're solving. Um, yeah. and, and you're not actually showing them the finish, the solution, because you're exactly right about that, but you're showing them how it works. And it's enough of a taste, especially with the demo site that Pixel and Tonic has. It's enough of a taste that they can understand it because, again, you're dealing with something, you're dealing with a shared vocabulary that they understand. Like as soon as you show that moving content block around and they've tried to do the same thing in any other CMS with a non-technical person, immediately they go, oh, wow, okay, now I understand what you're getting at. You're saying that you can build this specific to my needs? Uh, yeah, exactly. And so you know, now, now the next step is we'll decide the contract, we have a kickoff and we're into discovery and we'll map out this process and here's how we work. And so once, you know, once we're through with the vetting process, then it's about here's how we get started and here's what needs to happen and let's pick, you know, let's pick uh, kickoff dates, et cetera, however that tends to work. Yeah. Well, this is this is why we keep you around, Wes, because this is good stuff. I try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to kind of loop back and summarize, um, the key points that I'm taking away from this are, first, it, it always has to start with the value conversation. Um, and to put that in my layman's terms, because I'm not a business person, it's not natural for me to talk about value so that means I'm asking you know what are we really trying to accomplish and what difference does this make for you on a daily basis you know either to your bottom line or to you know your health and sanity as a proprietor or as a you know staff member um, or you know the impact that you want to have like what difference does this work make um, and and that legitimizes all of the technical stuff that I'm gonna tell you later but it has to start with the value first, um, which, you know, like you said, is it could be Craft, it could be any other tool in my tool belt. The fact that Craft solves this the best for, you know, my client and for me, um, is actually pretty irrelevant to the the start of the conversation. Um, I've got to pitch the pain point first, and then the tool, you know, matters less. Talking about it later. Um, we talked about craft as a content first CMS and I think that that's kind of that is kind of the key way that I tend to showcase craft and talk about it with clients in terms of you know what difference it makes for them is is it's unique in this way is the the technology is subservient to your content needs not the other way around I'm not going to architect content around you know the limitations of the management system I'm gonna build the content management around what your content actually is and what you want it to do and wherever you want it to do um, you know create ones publish everywhere um, and from there it becomes very natural to just you know show people how that works and at that point it's like you're right it's a done deal yeah, that's it exactly. And and I loved how you took the business terms out of it because that's so important. Um, one of the secrets to business people making money is that they obfuscate what they mean by fancy with fancy business terms. <laughs> 
that I feel like that's half the point of an MBA right there is, is to disguise common wisdom in highfalutin terms that really mean, hey, what's the thing that's keeping you up at night? Okay, here is how you sleep. And that's it. That's the value conversation. I've got something I would add to that, though, just bef- before we kind of move on. Um, one of the, the really strong points I've found with craft and selling it to clients um, just has been the non-reliance on third-party tools. Like, it does so much straight out of the box uh, without any need for plugins and modules. I mean, you, you look at most other platforms, um, everything tends to be third-party. Um, Craft doesn't have that. And for, for a client to have that peace of mind that if anything, if they have any problems with the system, they can go back to Pixel and Tonic gives them a huge comfort. Yes. Big, big yes on that. I mean, that's that, that's kind of part of a dev conversation, but also a business conversation as well. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Because what you just said, you could frame that as, you know, as a developer facing advantage. Yeah. But you can also very clearly frame that as a, you know, business stakeholder yeah, advantage that when you buy this thing, you know, when I, or when I create this solution for you, there is a team, a first party team, you know, whose purpose it is to support this solution and to stand behind their work and even, you know, to stand behind my work. Um, if I'm, you know, doing it well, doing it properly. And I think that that's, that can be very, very comforting to a business person because it's in the end, that is a dollars and cents question. Yes. Yeah. Very, very, uh, that's a very excellent point. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that is very much a tech thing and it's also very much a business thing and it's also very much a pain on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're right. That is also a developer advantage. So let's take a quick break and we will see you in the next episode of the craft podcast with the answer to why craft for developers and technical people uh, and in the meantime did I get it all less uh, <laughs> yeah spot? I think so <laughs> uh, and in the meantime we would love for you to visit our website it's craftpodcast.com you can sign up for our updates to receive uh, emails when we release new episodes and you can also get in touch with us by our twitter or by our email hello at craftpodcast.com Uh, and suggest topics or ask more questions in follow-up to this episode or any other uh, and tell us how you feel about this stuff. Um, Yeah, that was just really poor. (laughs) Go to to our website. Go to our website and sign up for our updates and tell us all the things that you feel. That's a can of worms. <laughs> that about does it for this episode of the Craft Podcast. I'm Michael Rog. And I'm Leslie Camacho. And I'm Stephen Grant. And we'll see you next time. 